Hi, everyone. It's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guests talk about how they got into tech, the work that they're doing, and the lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, I have Julia Collins, and we discuss how she is taking food and turning it into a tech innovation company. We also talk about funding, as well as the tribe that you need to be successful. I highly suggest if you are into taking notes that you grab a pen and paper because me and Julia drop a lot of gems on this episode. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, make sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes today. Now let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I have a very special lady on the podcast today, Julia Collins. Hi, Dina. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. Of course, of course. So for my listeners who might not be familiar with you, let's start off with introducing your business and what you do exactly. Sure. So I'm the co-founder and president of Zoom Pizza. Zoom is a food company that's using technology to deliver on our mission, which is to make sure that healthy, affordable food is available to everyone everywhere, regardless of where they are in the country and regardless of how much money they have to spend. We want to make sure that we get healthy food onto every single person's tables and we're using technology to do it. So let's actually dig right into how are you using technology for Zoom? A couple of interesting ways. So first, let's kind of take a step back and look at the problem. You know, far too often, especially in the United States, we see that there's a huge amount of fast food that's available to consumers. And that's food that's fast and affordable, but it isn't healthy. And then we also see that there's some healthy food that's available, but it's mostly available to folks who are at the upper end of the socioeconomic spectrum. And so there's a huge gap in between, and that gap is something that we're hoping to fill. So what do we need to do? First, we need to make sure that we can create food that's affordable. And so one of the ways that we use technology to make our food affordable is through automation. Automation helps us to reduce some of our operating costs so that we can invest in higher quality ingredients. Another way that we use technology to deliver on our promise is the fact that Zoom actually cooks food while it's on the way to the customer. It's a special technology that we call cooking en route. En route. And this cooking en route means that when the food arrives at your doorstep, the food from Zoom Pizza, that it's coming fresh out of the oven, which means that we're never having to add artificial, you know, colors or stabilizers or sugar, all of these things that our competitors add to their food that make their food unhealthy. So those are just two of the ways that we're using technology to get better food onto people's tables. That's amazing. I mean, who doesn't want fresh food to arrive at their door? Hot, fresh food, especially when it's just as affordable as anything you get from a competitor. And that's really the important piece for us, Dina, is it's not enough that it tastes good. It's not enough that it's healthy. We have to make sure that all of our customers can afford it. That's really important to us. That's excellent. And right now, your customer, where's your customer base? 
We're, yeah, we're actually focused in Silicon Valley. We founded the company in Mountain View, California. You know, Mountain View is very famous for being the headquarters of companies like Google and lots of other innovative tech companies. Um, Zoom decided to found uh, in Mountain View because we knew we needed a lot of engineering talent in order to get our technology off the ground. And so we founded in Mountain View in 2015, and we've been little by little expanding our radius to include some of the towns nearby, including Palo Alto, where Stanford University is based, um, Sunnyvale, Atherton. And we're not quite in San Francisco yet, but we do plan to be there just as soon as we can. Excellent. So if you're in the Mountain View area, you'll definitely have to check out Zoom Pizza very soon. Oh, I hope you will. Yes, for sure. And one thing I want to touch on that I think is a unique part of your model is so you do use robot assistance for the pizza production. That's right. So Zoom has what we call a cobot environment. And what that means is that we have humans and robots working side by side collaborating to produce food. And that really works very well from a lot of standpoints, from a standpoint of safety, from a standpoint of quality, from a standpoint of productivity. What happens, Dina, is that the robots take on the jobs that are boring, that are repetitive, that are unsafe, you know, jobs like sticking your hand in and out of an 800-degree pizza oven, you know, a thousand times a day. Robots take those jobs. And then that means that the humans are able to work on the jobs that are really good for humans, creative jobs, collaborative jobs, things like developing recipes or doing taste testing and quality control. And so this cobot environment really allows for humans to reach the highest and the best use of their human potential. And then as a business, it allows us to leverage the power of these very um, dynamic robots to create efficiencies and a more safe, stable production environment that also helps us to keep our costs really affordable to the customer. So that's what co-botting is in the context of Zoom Pizza. So I have to ask, how in the heck did you come up with this concept? Well, you know, what I will say is there are other folks in the space, even in the food space, that are using automation or that are using robotics. Um, But what you haven't seen before is a company that's looking at technology as broadly as Zoom is for the express purpose of getting healthy food to its customers. Too often what you see is technology being brought to bear to drive shareholder value or to get more margin for the owner. And these companies are forgetting that the the customer really is the person that you have to be advocating for, the customer and the employee. And so Zoom is really looking at the problem, not just from the standpoint of how to create more shareholder value or more profit, but really how to create better outcomes for our customers and for our employees. But the way that we got started, and when I say we, I mean me and my co-founder, Alex Garden, Alex and I um, were actually introduced through a mutual friend in 2015 because Alex had the idea for cooking en route. And that, to me, you know, as a veteran restaurant developer, sounded like an incredible idea. Um, And I knew that, like many restaurant operators do, I knew that my industry was in trouble. 
you see so many restaurants that have incredible menus and even really loyal followings that have to close their doors after a couple of years because it's just so incredibly hard to make a traditional brick-and-mortar restaurant model work. Um, the economics are really difficult. And so when I heard that Alex had this idea for cooking food on route, I realized that we could actually deliver a restaurant-quality experience to people's homes. And when I look around at my friend group, I see that more and more of us love to eat at home. Sometimes we go out because we want the experience of a restaurant, but many times, for convenience sake, we want to be in the, in the comfort of our own homes, enjoying food that's just as good as if you had your restaurant. So that was the founding piece of technology. The rest of it, the automation, the inventory delocalization, the predictive inventory, the supply chain optimization, all of those innovations that happened at Zoom really happened as a result of a lot of collaboration between my co-founder, Alex, myself, and also our CTO, Josh Goldberg. It was really the three of us jamming in those early days um, that created a lot of the, um, the, the structure and the framework of Zoom from a standpoint of our technological innovations. Clearly, collaboration is not only your company model, but it's also how you guys got started to create such a successful idea. So that's amazing. One thing I do want to touch on. So you are a restaurant developer. Did you ever see yourself getting into the tech industry? You know, I think it's so important for people to understand that being in the tech industry does not mean that you are necessarily a programmer. It doesn't mean necessarily that you write code or are a data scientist. There are so many exciting careers in technology um, uh, that have entry points that are that are different. And so for me, I think the reason, one of the things that made it sort of easier for me to imagine jumping from restaurants to tech is that I did grow up in San Francisco, right in the heart of all of this innovation. And so probably just by virtue of, of almost by osmosis, you know, I was exposed to the culture of tech from a very early age. But I do just want to reiterate that, you know, for folks that are interested in taking advantage of this revolution that's happening in tech, you know, to really think about how their current skill set can translate, because you don't have to be an engineer to have a fabulous career in the world of technology. Exactly. And that's exactly why I have the podcast is so people can hear stories from individuals such as yourself and realize that tech isn't as big and scary as sometimes people make it out to be. You don't have to be a super genius. You don't have to be that person that knows how to code day and night. There's other ways to get into tech besides being a programmer. So that's a great. That's point. absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, what I will say is like any industry, you know, that you might enter, you want to do a little bit of homework, you know, so it's a great idea to listen to podcasts like yours, Dina, um, before thinking about making a move into the tech industry. It's a great idea, you know, to read TechCrunch and Mashable and, you know, and to, to catch up on medium posts that are interesting. I mean, you do want to sort of like get your toe in the water a little bit, but you absolutely don't have to be scared. And I think, you know, you'll find lots of examples of people like me who've had careers um, or who were educated in areas that were totally, you know, uh, different than the one that they're working in now. Exactly. And for you, a person that's probably, I would say, a non-technical founder, what 
steps did you take to make sure you still knew what was going on when it came to the technology of your business? Zoom is a food company first and foremost. Everything that we do from a technological perspective, we do to support our mission, which is to make sure that every American has access to a healthy meal they can afford. And so in many ways, um, I was a technical founder because I understood the technical aspect of the food company. But you're absolutely right. In order to be a great you know, founder and a great president of a food and technology company, I did have to make sure that I understood our stack. And so in those early days, I spent a lot of time with our CTO, knowledge sharing. I would share all of my domain knowledge about food and about operations with Josh, our CTO, and he in tune would share with me, you know, what he was thinking about from a standpoint of architecture. My co-founder, Alex, happens to be an incredible technologist as well, and he was really instrumental in helping to get me up to speed. Ultimately, though, it's always the responsibility of the individual to continue the learning And that's why I've taught myself a little bit of data science, a little bit of SQL. You know, you always want to be honing and developing your skills. If you have a little free time, it's not a bad idea to sign up for a class at General Assembly or to go on Coursera or to go on on Linda and see what's being offered. You want to make sure that you're always continuing to sharpen your skills as as you progress through your career. Those are great resources. I'm not sure anyone actually that I've interviewed has ever mentioned those resources. So thank you for that. Absolutely. I also want to touch on that. So with Zoom Pizza, you do data analysis also within your business, correct? Absolutely. So one of the things that's interesting about the way that Zoom thinks about order fulfillment is that we actually predict what the customer wants to eat before the customer even tells us what they want to eat. You know, most food companies don't do that. They do a little bit of prediction for inventory, but they essentially wait for the customer to make an order for pizza, for example, and then they receive the order, they make the order, and they get it to the customer as fast as they can. What Zoom does is actually to leverage the power of data and to look across our market at patterns, and those patterns allow us to make really high-fidelity bets on what kind of pizza to make, and exactly where to place it in our trade area. So that the moment when the customer actually decides that she wants a pepperoni pizza, we've already guessed that she wants it. We've already guessed that she wants it and where she wants it and what time she wants it. So we really are leveraging the power of data and and prediction in particular to be able to create a better delivery experience with faster delivery times and better inventory optimization. Wow, that's awesome. I wish more delivery services were using predictive data because that'd be very helpful in the process <laughs> of getting <laughs> getting food to you, especially. Yeah, I, I mean, I nobody wants to wait an hour for a pizza. <laughs> very, very true. Since we're talking about, it's basically what you're doing is what I would call food tech because it's involving, like you said, the restaurant and food part, but you also have that technology component to it. Now, who would you consider, I guess, your competitors because you're in such a niche market? No, you know, I think the way that we serve our customers is certainly incredibly different from any of our competitors. Um, But, you know, what we serve our customers, pizza, you know, is similar to some others. And so when we look at our competitive set, we certainly look at the big four, you know, Domino's, Pizza Hut, Papa John's, and Little Caesar's. 
But we also look at other ways that people are enjoying food and enjoying pizzas. We look at the frozen pizza vertical, um, especially healthy, you know, healthier for you pizzas, like ones you might get at Whole Foods. We look at other delivery services like Uber Eats and try to make sure that we're faster and still have better quality than those competitors. So we're looking not just at pizza, but other food delivery companies, even prepared food options that customers have in their markets right now. Interesting. And it's always good to look at your competitors from all angles, right? So for instance, yes, you make pizza and it's a healthy, more affordable option. But like you said, it's it could be the frozen food pizza area that right. you have to look at or from, like you said, Domino's. So definitely... That's interesting. So when you put it that way, you actually have quite a few competitors because I know from a Chicago perspective, there's almost a pizza place on every other block. So absolutely, that's true. And and not to mention, there are probably you know twenty five SKUs of pizza in the average grocery store. What I will say is that because Zoom is so fast with our delivery times, by the time you warm up your oven, put a frozen pizza inside and wait for it to be ready, you could have ordered a fresh Zoom pizza that would be delivered and it would be piping hot. So we're even faster than making a frozen pizza at your home. Right. And because you are serving this pizza on the go, you're using a van, do you also consider food trucks your competitors? I'm not sure how big the food truck culture is in the Bay Area, but I know Chicago is pretty big. (laughs) Oh, we have a fantastic food culture, food truck culture in the Bay Area. And, you know, when I lived in New York for 14 years, we also had a great food truck culture there. I even was a co-owner in a food truck in New York City oh. called Mexico, and that was a really interesting business to be in. What Zoom does is a little bit different um, than a traditional food truck. A traditional food truck loads up its inventory in the morning or at a certain point in time, goes, parks in a fixed location, opens up its window and sells to customers. And what Zoom does is uh, to load inventory, but then to be able to place that inventory strategically across its delivery area. So sometimes we're driving directly to a customer's door. Sometimes we're driving to a location near their door and then having um, a person do the last mile of the delivery. So it's a little bit different on the back end. The customer experience from Zoom is also different because rather than having to find a food truck and get yourself there, we're bringing the product right to your door. Now, I will say that there are some times when we've done food truck style events, you know, in order to reach customers, and those are really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, But our fundamental operation, um, the way that we serve customers on a daily basis Um, is different than what I did when I was in the food truck business. Okay, good. I just wanted to differentiate what you're doing versus a food truck so people don't have that confused either. That's true. What I will say is really always a source of inspiration for me as a food person is I love the innovation that you see in terms of food trucks. You see such a diversity of offerings. You know, you see such incredible novelty. Every time there's a new truck in San Francisco, it gets a lot of buzz and there's always something different. 
So what I love about the world of food trucks is that really um, those food trucks are almost like, you know, centers of innovation and creativity. When you look at Zoom's menu and the way that we approach the crafting of our menu and our different types of pizza, you can see that we're also very creative. We love to have fun. We love to create pizzas that are not only seasonal, but also have a regional flair. And so some of that creativity that you see in the world of food trucks, you also see at Zoom in terms of the way that we think about developing our pizza menu. Exactly. And so I want to clarify, because I'm not sure if we've really fully explained the Zoom pizza model in regards to, so Zoom pizza does not have a storefront as of right now. That's right. Zoom is a delivery only pizza company at this point in time. And that's actually a really interesting problem from a marketing perspective and from an operating perspective. This is the first time in my life when I've had a food company with no physical storefront. I'll tell you the advantage to me is that it's much less expensive to operate my business. Instead of having to have a prime, you know, location on a main street in the middle of a city, and pay all of the you know money that goes along with that, I can actually serve customers from my food delivery vehicles. And so the way that I grow as a business is not by continuing to build more and more bricks and mortar infrastructure, but rather by scaling this delivery fleet. And so that really, when you think about the capital intensity of a business, right, how much cash you need to grow, Zoom has a huge advantage versus peer companies because it, t- it takes far less capital intensity for me to reach more customers than would a typical fast casual restaurant that has to keep building more and more stores. The challenge, though, is that because I don't have a physical storefront, I have to find innovative ways to get my brand in front of customers. You know, they're not just going to walk by and see my sign or just walk into the store. So we have to think about different marketing channels. Um, but in this day of digital marketing, you know, that's a really, it's a, it's an exciting problem to be solving. Right. And like you said, digital marketing is become so advanced over the last few years. So there's, I'm sure, plenty of unique ways that you're reaching your customers. Absolutely. It's become so advanced and it's become easier than ever to really target your advertising um, so that you're reaching just the folks that, that need to hear your message. So, of course, I'm going to have to ask, what are some of your flavors? What's your best seller for like region wise? Okay, let's think. Well, so Zoom has always about 12 pizzas on the menu that never change. And I'll say of the classics, my favorite has got to be the chicken barbecue ranch. (laughs) That sounds delicious. delicious. It's got barbecue sauce and, you know, Jack cheese is a California favorite. Ranch dressing, red onions, roasted chicken, cabbage slaw, and a little bit of smoked local cheddar. Um, That's one of my favorites. It's got a lot of flavor um, in every bite. But then we also love to do fun seasonal favorites, you know, Let's see, in the month of December, um, during black truffle season, we did a pizza called the Truffle and Flow, and it was laced with um, black truffles, a a black truffle cheese, um, some fried sage, and it's just the most flavorful, um, delicious pizza. And we really were just honoring the 
that black truffles were in season. And you don't normally see something that refined on a fast food pizza company menu. But then again, Zoom's not a fast food company. And so you can see the quality and the artisanship of what we're doing is so different than any of other our other pizza uh, peer pizza companies in the space. I don't think you'd ever see a black truffle pizza on Domino's menu. I don't think you would see that either. <laughs> that sounds absolutely mouthwatering. <laughs> this episode of Black Tech Unplugged is brought to you by Adnocrats. Looking to grow your business at affordable prices? Now you can with targeted audio ads on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Find out why brands are flocking to Adnocrats by visiting adnocrats.co. That's A D N O. C-R-A-T-S dot co to learn more. Now back to the show. Well, shifting gears a little bit. So I want to very briefly talk about your funding. So last year, at the end of last year, you ha- received $48 million for your company and funding, especially for its expansion. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. And with funding, I just want to touch briefly because I know a lot of people always have questions about funding and a lot of people don't understand what you go through with that process. Let's just like briefly high level go over what you have to do for funding. Golly, you know, Dina, we could do a whole series, a whole podcast, you know, with 20 episodes just on funding. Um, But, you know, I think one of the things that's really helpful just from a high level is to remember that at the beginning of every process, you know, when it comes to fundraising, you have to have a clarity for what your business is, is, is setting out to do. And so I'd say a good time to begin the fundraising process is after you've already really gotten clear about what your concept is, how it's going to work and how much money you're going to need. And that's not to say that you have to have all the answers. It's not to say that you can't give yourself room to pivot and to grow. But before you walk into any fundraising conversation, you really need to have a good deal of clarity. I think another thing that you have to remember is that most of the folks that you're going to be getting in front of for these fundraising conversations are listening to literally thousands and thousands of pitches a year. And so you have to think about not only what's different about your idea, but what's different about you. And this is, I think, one of the ways where being diverse can really be to your advantage. You want to make sure that you are so convincing that you become memorable. And so you need to have, you need to speak with conviction. You need to speak with passion. You need to demonstrate that you are a domain expert in the area that you're working in. And if you do that, you have an opportunity to really make yourself memorable in the eyes of the folks that are going to be giving you money. And I think that was a great answer. But And one thing that you mentioned that, of course, we have to touch on, you mentioned being diverse in the industry. And so yeah. obviously, as a Black woman, and you have this tech company that you've created, how, from your perspective, and especially being in the Bay Area, Diversity in tech is still a huge issue. And so for you, what does diversity in tech even look like at this point? Because to be honest, there's so many different definitions. There are so many different definitions. You know, I think when I think about, you know, the founding team of Zoom Pizza, you know, my co-founder, Alex Garden and myself, we're as diverse 
as you could imagine, on almost every metric. I mean, he's a man and I'm a woman. He's from Canada and I'm from the United States. He's tall, I'm small. You know, he's comes from a technical background. I come from a more business background. He dropped out of high school. I, you know, graduated from Stanford Business School. And so there's so many ways that we're different. Um, but the important thing is that we also are reminded of the ways where we have a lot of common ground. So the diversity is important because it allows for a diversity of opinions. It allows for um, us to see problems from different angles, to come up with solutions from different perspectives, right? There's a lot of strength that comes from the fact that we are different and that we think differently. But then there's also a lot of strength um, that comes from finding common ground. And so I think when you think about diversity, you have to remember both sides. You have to remember that it's important to be different, but you have to remember also that it's important to find common ground, common ground with your co-founder, common ground with your customers, and common ground with your investors. If you dwell too much in the place of feeling so different or feeling like a pariah, then it can almost psych you out. And so you have to seek out ways to also find common ground with the folks that you're going to get in front of who, frankly, more often than not, are not going to look like you. And sometimes, you know, that can that can wear on a person. You know, if you go to you know, 20 investing me- investment meetings or, or pitches and you don't see a single other black woman in the room, you know, as a black woman, that can really wear on you. It can psych you out. And so what I encourage people to do in those moments where they're feeling psyched out is to find ways where they can connect, you know, find something similar in the way that somebody thinks, find something similar in their experience, and find ways where you can connect and find common ground, because in that common ground, you can find a little bit of comfort and and a little bit of, um, a little bit of confidence. You know, I think I hear a lot of, uh, I hear a lot of desire on the parts of, 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 of venture capitalists and of, of companies, you know, to see more diversity represented in the world of tech. Um, my fear is that it's just not happening fast enough. And so to your earlier point about trying to attract diverse people into the industry, I think one of the ways that we can see the face of tech change is to encourage more and more people from non-technical backgrounds to enter the world of tech, to enter jobs in, you know, people development and people management and operations and marketing and product. And I think if we can do that, then we'll see the needle begin to move a little bit more swiftly than we're seeing it move right now. That's excellent. And so from my perspective lately, a lot of people have been talking about what do we say is actually tech? Are we going to say that people who are project managers are tech? Are we going to say basically anybody who's not a coder or directly related to technology? People are seem to be having this discussion saying, well, they're not that's not tech. But do you have any feedback or any thoughts on that? You know, that's not a conversation that I have heard much of. And frankly, I don't know that it's really important. I think, you know, what's important on an individual basis is to find work that's meaningful and rewarding and that allows you to make a difference in this world. And if somebody wants to call it tech, then that's great. And if they don't, then so be it. My only point to folks that are thinking about what to do with their careers is to say, listen, there's lots of opportunity 
in this world of technology. There's lots of opportunity for personal and professional development, and there's lots of opportunity for financial success. And so I would hate to think that a whole generation would pass without creating more opportunities for people of color to take advantage of the great, you know, the great advances that are happening out here in Silicon Valley. I hope more people of color will join us out here and in all areas in the country where, you know, maybe it's not Silicon Valley, but it's Silicon Alley. I hope that more and more people of color will have an opportunity to take advantage of the great opportunities that are being created um, as a result of so much technological innovation in these last couple of decades. And I totally agree. And one thing that you also mentioned in this last part of our conversation is when you're a black woman and you don't see someone else who looks like you. And so you're kind of looking for that community. You're looking for someone who can actually Mm -hmm. relate to what you're going through. So from your perspective, how did you find your tribe? Yeah. The tech industry. I mean, it's so important to find that, to find that sisterhood, that brotherhood, that, you know, that tribe. For me, unfortunately, you know, it's not something I found very easily within um, my professional world. And so what I've done is to find it in my personal life and to surround myself with people who are very successful in their respective fields. But I may, for example, you know, have a heart-to-heart conversation with a girlfriend who's a vice president at an investment bank or, you know, with a, a fellow black person, you know, who's working in healthcare. So sometimes you have to look outside of your industry to find people that you really connect with. Um, it's not to say you can't find them within tech. It's just been my experience that I've been able to develop a great tribe, a great network of people who were not necessarily coming from from the world of technology. I hope that as I continue my career out here, um, that I'll find more and more people that I can connect with. And certainly, you know, events like Afrotech um, are great opportunities, you know, to to network and to find people. Um, And I'm working on that as we speak, you know, building that network. Um, But sometimes you have to look outside of your industry for support. And um, sometimes you have to rely on your friend group, you know, to really help you uh, navigate some of the, you know, vagaries of, of the professional, the professional world. Yes, that's very true. I mean, even how we met where you got you took a chance and came to one of the events that I held out in the Bay area. And that's how we met and continue to have a relationship. It's all about putting yourself out there. That's exactly right. Before you mentioned that you were into the restaurant industry, when you started this venture in 2015, do you ever feel like this was a career switch for you? Or do you feel like this was always something that was inside of you? You were just bringing it to life. You know, I have always wanted to find a way to change the world through food. I've always, always wanted that since I was a little girl. My grandpa was the first black dentist in San Francisco um, in the, in, in, after the Second World War. And he really became this like figure within the San Francisco community. And what that meant for me was that I lived in a household that was a center of activity. And when you do that, you see that food is really the way that everyone connects with each other. Food is what you what you rely on to find common ground, to find a sense of well-being, to preserve culture. So for me, I've always had this connection to food, and I knew that one way or another, that was going to be my mission. The fact that I'm working at a you know cobot uh, food tech you know 
super innovative pizza company, I couldn't have in my wildest dreams imagined that that's how <laughs> that's how life would go. Um, but I certainly knew that it was going to be a food. You know, when I went away to college, I actually studied biomedical engineering. So it's not a total surprise to me that there's a technological component, a huge technological component to what I'm doing. Um, but there is definitely that connection to food, that passion for food um, that was that was always calling me. And because I consider you a big innovator, I have to ask, what do you think is the greatest innovation that's occurred in tech in the past year? Oh, my gosh, you caught me off guard with that one. I, if you took away the time constraint, I think the thing that um, that I engage with on a daily basis that I find most innovative really is social media. Um, and I'm not even the, the heaviest social media user, but I think the way that we're able to sort of collapse the distance between people through social media is absolutely fascinating to me. You know, on a daily basis, I am connected to thousands of people and they're all at my fingertip. And, and even, you know, a decade ago, it would be so much more difficult, you know, to find other folks in the world. So the the, the growth, the proliferation, um, the improvements in, in different social media platforms, I think is the element of technology that on a personal basis has had the greatest impact on my life in the last, I'd say, five years. From your perspective, is there anything that you would like to see innovation-wise in 2018? You know, I'd like to see more of my peer companies thinking about ways to use automation, to use AI, to use all of these technological innovations that are more widely available. I'd like to see my peer companies begin to figure out how to use them to create better outcomes for their employees and better outcomes for their customers, not just more shareholder value, not just higher profits for themselves. So that's my call to action um, for the other the other business leaders that are out there is how can you use the technology that's available to you to create better outcomes for your employees and healthier, better outcomes for your customers. I like it. And hopefully some people will answer that call because that is such a great point. It's not always about the revenue, but it's just about making society better with innovation, right? That's right. That's right. And in the, in a country like ours, so much of the innovation that touches people's lives happens not necessarily in the public sector, but really in the in the private sector. And so private sector business leaders really have a responsibility to move the needle, even on social issues. We can't just rely on Washington, D.C. or on our local politicians to make the changes in our lives that are going to lead to healthier, happier America. We have to, as business leaders, think about what we can do on a daily basis, beginning with our own employees, to really create the America that we want to see in the future. Talking about innovation, but one thing that we haven't mentioned is with innovation also comes cost. So I know you're using robots for Zoom. And so being that you're ahead of the curve and you're being innovative, is it ever costly to stay ahead of the curve and use robots for your business? No, I th- you know, I think what's more costly is is to is to be moving in the wrong direction and then have to uh, change later. So I think, you know, there may be some initial or upfront cost involved in moving over to a new technology, um, but the hope is always that in doing so that you're saving yourself money. And so in most cases, it's really simple to make an easy business case um, for investing in innovation. 
And in the case of automation, the return on investment for most of these robotic cells is really impressive. Um, these are, you know, industrial robots that have a very long, useful life, you know, sometimes as long as 10 or 20 years um, they're robots that have, you know, uptime of higher than 99%. So they're always working and they're always producing uh, goods. And they're, they're, they're work cells that are very safe and that have almost no accidents. So in the case of automation, it's always, it's usually quite easy um, to make a return on investment um, uh, rationale for choosing automation. Your larger point about is innovation costly? You know, I'd say lack of innovation is probably more costly. Um, and I think uh, most companies in, in, in our space would probably agree that that's the case. Gotcha. And actually, you mentioned something. I think we've had a conversation about this before. And it was recognizing that you're maybe not going in the right direction or not with the right partnership and recognizing that early. So do you have any tips or advice for one, recognizing it early and two, once you recognizing recognize that you're going in the wrong direction, how to make that pivot? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely this is something that comes up for, for entrepreneurs and for founders all the time. You know, um, sometimes you might realize that you've made a bad decision in terms of an employee, for example. You know, maybe you brought somebody on early and you realize that they're just not going to scale. And I think when that happens, what you want to do is think of the most generous and the most ethical way to help that person write a great last chapter and move on. Sometimes you find that you've made an error in your thinking or that maybe you didn't make an error at all, but you simply received more information from the market that told you that you needed to make a change. And in that case, you need to go ahead and have the confidence to say to your board, to say to your co-founder, to say to your team, hey, listen, in the face of new information, we've decided that we need to change direction and to have the confidence to do that. If you're too shy to admit that there was an error in your thinking or that maybe there was a gap in your strategy, if you're too shy to do that, then you're really putting your business at peril. And I think as entrepreneurs, as founders, what we want most is for our businesses to be successful. And so if you need to pivot in order for your business to be successful, then you just that's an easy decision to make. What I will say is it's always also important in both cases, whether it's changing direction with an employee or changing in direction with your strategy, it's really important to have a good network of advisors. That may be just a couple of people, um, but it's really important to have good counsel, good legal counsel, and really good mentors or advisors. And I think in my own career, if I could change anything, I think I would have spent more time early on really developing a tight network of those mentors and advisors um, because it's difficult. Uh, the point when you need them is not the point when you want to begin seeking them. You want to go ahead and develop those relationships ahead of time so that when opportunities present themselves, you already have somebody on your you know, speed dial that you can call and talk to. Exactly, especially when it comes to legal advice. Because you never know when you're going to need that. I always feel like it's good to have certain types of people on your team before you need a mentor, a lawyer, a financial advisor. So there's certain people that you need on your team before. I'd say certainly those three, you know, with a mentor, that's somebody who can give you advice on your own personal style. That's somebody who you can practice your, your fundraising pitch in front of. That's somebody who can help you evaluate an opportunity. 
you know, your legal counsel, that's somebody who can help you in the early days with incorporation, with partnership agreements, even with negotiating with your co-founder. Um, you know, these are people that you want to have on board uh, very early on. And a financial advisor who really is interested in your personal financial situation. Sometimes it happens that found, as founders is we think so much about the business's finances that we sometimes forget that we have to take care of our own as well. And even if you're working on a very modest founder's salary, you can still be, um, or no salary at all, you can still be smart about the way that you protect yourself financially. So yeah, a great mentor, a great lawyer, and a great financial advisor, certainly three advisors that you want to have on your team way ahead of even thinking uh, that you're going to start a business. And one thing that we should note about having these people, they can't be yes men type people. They have to be someone that's actually going to call you out on your whatever's going on, call you out on what you're doing and be open and honest at all times. That's absolutely right. They need to be able to listen so that they understand what your personal goals are, but they absolutely need to be able to push back and say, hey, listen, I think you're going in the wrong direction here. Or, hey, listen, have you thought about it from this other perspective? Absolutely. I completely agree with you, Dina. Obviously, we've heard amazing tips from you, especially regarding your your entrepreneur side, being in tech, being a Black woman in tech. But I do have to ask, is there any tips that we haven't shared that you think that my listeners need to know? You know, I think it's one that you do hear a lot, but I will say it again. Um, practice really does make perfect. You know, I encourage anyone who's thinking about um, going out to raise money or um, presenting at maybe, you know, uh, a pitch uh, contest or anything like that to really practice. Practice in front of a mirror, practice in front of people that know you, practice in front of your mentor, um, because you want to make sure that your message is going to be heard. Um, and that you really feel confident going into those pitches. So practice makes perfect. Um, and if you can't find anybody to practice in front of, practice in front of them here. That is an excellent tip. No one, I haven't heard that one before, so I like that. And so my final question to you, what do you think is next for you, be it personal, but more so with Zoom Pizza and your role in the tech industry? You know, I'm really excited um, about the growth of Zoom Pizza and the opportunity that we have to work with more farmers, to work with more customers, to hire more employees. Um, it makes me so happy to know um, that our customers love what we're doing. Um, and really, you know, the success that we have with our initial market is what's going to allow us to have the confidence to grow and scale to new markets. So I'm really excited about the growth of Zoom and the opportunity to reach more people. Um, that excites me on both a professional level and obviously as a founder on a personal level. This is the most exciting thing that I've done in my career by leaps and bounds. And so I'm uh, so happy that it's been going well. Yes, and I'm excited for you. I can't wait to see what's next. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find me on Instagram at Dina underscore McKay, or you can follow the podcast itself at Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. If you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It would help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.